0: Do you need encouragement to turn tragedies into your own triumphant life story if so this podcast is for you listen to powerful guests who have persevered through challenges so you can gain strength to build your championship life the host of professor of perseverance podcast dr james purdue in here. It's time to get started. Let's get some motivation, some inspiration. Let's get something, little golden nugget from today that can help us get through some trials and tribulations and move forward in life. Then what do we do? I always say we pay it forward. We help the person ahead of us and go from there. Hey, today, our guest today, man, this is gonna be pretty good. You know, we're all addicted to something, right? Uh, I don't care if it's drugs, porn, uh, working out too much, uh, not eating enough, eating too much. Mine is eating banana splits. All right. So we all are something that we addictive. We got to get a we got to get a hold of it somehow. And today, our our our, our guest is going to help us mainly with the he works with young male. Gamers. Yes. All of you that are on there 14, 18 hours a day playing games and doing nothing other than that. And there's nothing wrong with that, but there's more outside that door in life. Okay. Now, young lady gamers, he may not be specifically talking to you, but I bet you you take a little nuggets from here can help you as well. All right. So he works with guys to help the, um, uh, his mission is to defeat gamer loneliness. By transforming gamers into men, other guys want to be, and women want to be with. All right, he shows them that they can level up in life instead of video games. So welcome to the show here, the podcast, Dr. Agam Dewan.
1: Perfect. Thank you, James. Thank you for having me.
0: Hey, thank you for being here. I'm getting a little slap on my back because I got the algum right. So uh I was gonna get one All right, but uh yeah, thank you for being here, man. Mm-hmm. This is yeah, this is especially today. Yeah, people these young kids, all right, they let that game go forever and ever. I mean when I first real game thing, and I'm showing my age here a little bit because I know I'm a little older than you, Ogham, but um I the first one I remember was the old, we had a little old black and white TV, and it was, uh can't remember the name of the game, but all you can do is play ping pong or something on your TV, and all you did was slide the thing up and down to hit the ball back to the other side for the other person slide it up and down. Mm -hmm. That was our first video game that I had. You just slide the thing up and down. That was it. And um, then after that, uh, we moved up to an Atari and then we got the old Commodore 64 and then the Commodore 64 (laughs) plus. Then after that, uh, when we'd been in a wheelchair after that and my hands didn't work as well, I didn't play games much anymore. So, Mm -hmm. um, but the, that's as far as I got. Now, I know they got all this great stuff where you're playing everybody around the world. You know, when I was younger, the game you're playing is you and whoever's in the room with you. Uh, or you're playing against the the game itself, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, today, I mean, I, I can see the great benefit playing and competing against other people. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. But again, when I eat three banana splits in one day, I'm over and doing it. So we got to get a hold of this little thing. All right, Ogham, I don't want to take up your whole whole time here, but, uh, yeah, appreciate you being here and helping these young gamers. Again, I'm including uh, young ladies as well. Um, I know you specialize with males, but young women, take a little bit of this gold nugget to help you as well. All right, Ogham, take it off, buddy. Tell us how you got started helping out with people like this.
1: Yeah, absolutely, James. And thank you for that introduction. So for me, I had my own journey with gaming addiction, too. And that's what really kind of came full circle for it. And so when I was in high school, my routine every day was to come home around four o'clock, grab a plate of Oreo cookies, not just like a cookie, grab a plate or the box, the one that peels back bring it downstairs to the basement, shut the lights off and then just sit in front of our large screen TV that we had and game every day. That was the routine. Mm-hmm. The only time I stopped was when I knew my father was coming home for dinner around six or six thirty, because I knew that he wouldn't like it. But then I would either go back to the game downstairs or uh, go upstairs and play.
0: Okay, now let hold on here for a second now. So you in in sense were playing a game within the game too. Right? A
1: game within a game.
0: A game within a game. You were playing your games in the basement, but you know your dad wouldn't go like it, so you were playing his game. Yes. Get because you don't want to hear the griping, the get off the computer, get off the game, you don't want to get all the pe- everybody mad at the house yep. and have a nice dinner to eat. And then once you were once you were done playing his game, then you went back to your game. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, so I was doing this for uh, years, and like I remember specifically sitting in class and just daydreaming about what game I was going to go play, what world I was going to be in, texting or not even texting, just like we had made plans with friends to meet up online, right? So all of that was happening, and then. I remember in my senior year, there was this girl. Her name was Priscilla. I remember this very vividly, and I wanted to ask her out to prom. But I was too scared. Mm-hmm. I had never been to any parties. I'd never been, had, had any social situations. I'd never really talked to uh, many women before, and so I was scared. And then I see some other guy had asked her out. And she said she accepted. And so I go to prom by myself just to go. And then I see her dancing with this other guy. And in my like stomach and heart area, like I just felt this like turning sensation, like my stomach just dropped. Right. And I remember that feeling of like, fuck, like that could, that should, I wanted to be there. Yeah. Yeah. And every guy can relate to that because they've all had a similar feeling like that.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, now, did Priscilla, was she expecting you to ask? I mean, were y'all talking in friends in school? And I mean, uh, does she even know about this now? no she she has no idea <laughs> So priscilla may or may not be the name okay just yeah, in case. no yeah. i'm kidding no i'm kidding <laughs> so yes yeah, this is one of the things that based on a true story so the uh-huh. names have been changed to protect the innocence no so okay so i was just wondering if maybe she was expecting it and then uh so she had no clue that you wanted to ask
1: no, of course. We, okay. We, we okay. were in a couple of classes together. We definitely like we weren't strangers. We definitely had interactions.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so it wasn't like a, a, a shot by the dark in the night that you're saying I'm just going to go to her and now y'all are already friends and right and, and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Right. All right. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, and so having that, I remember getting to college and just being like, I don't want to feel like that again. Like that felt miserable to mm-hmm. to go through that right and especially as a, a young guy this is what people don't really appreciate about like men's mental health is that we are at that age just full of testosterone and so all we want to do is have big cars talk to women go to the gym like all of these things that a lot of them kind of get pushed down especially in today's modern society right like This is what we biologically want to do and like our hormones are pushing us to do this right and i remember having this realization i was like i gotta change like i have to change my behavior because if i just game all the time then it's not i'm not going to go anywhere like i'm not going to be successful in like this realm of life and then slowly started kind of getting, getting out of my shell getting involved socially on campus I joined a fraternity, um, started like going to events and things, right? And then in the in the side, but then also uh, making sure that my grades and stuff were good too. And then got to medical school, and I reflected on where I wanted to, how I could like impact like the the world, what I really wanted to do, uh, what specialty I wanted to pick, and so psychiatry really stood out to me because of the mental journey that I had made. And in, in like the, the growth arc that I'd had and then helping um, helping other people go through similar journeys, too, was what really spoke to me. And then, you know, kind of got more specialized. And here we are.
0: I'm glad. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you woke up to realize that. And it's, uh, I'm sorry you had to go through that, like you said, a churning pain and, and comfort, uh, but it was a good wake me up uh, for that. You know, so but yeah, yeah. It's it's sad that a lot of times in our life, yeah, we have to go through some time of pain to get us to get away from whatever we're into. You know what I'm saying? It's uh, even even if it's something too good for us, and we're like I said, you can be working out all the time, and that's gonna be bad for you in the long run. If you don't let your muscles rest and and stuff and uh, recover itself, that you know can't just keep working out. That's why you have sleep time and rest time and alternate leg days and alternate arm days and hey, even something too good is too much.
1: Right, absolutely. And that's the function of pain, right? That's why it biologically exists is to provide that feedback loop to adjust our behavior.
0: Yeah, so um, uh, you see, I don't know a lot about the gaming, like I said. I got as far as a Commodores uh, 64s and and things like that, and so. But I I know some friends that are disabled, and uh, I know they got all this new stuff that they can use to be able to c- compete and play, and uh, you don't have to have fingers as much as you used to uh, when you first started and uh, to play and everything. So, uh, but I just hadn't got into that. So, and I mean, good or bad, it, it didn't didn't matter with me on that. So, oh, I, I guess I did advance a little bit. For a while, I went to a rehab one time, and they had me playing a Wii game. Okay, <laughs> and so I did advance up to a Wii game. and brought to the house, and we're bowling here to my house, and you know, so. But still, I didn't do any of the internet stuff that I could have done with the Wii, mm-hmm. and so it was just uh, me and my brother or friends over, and we're bowling or tennis and and and. and uh, the baseball games on it and stuff. So I did advance up to a Wii game, but that took me, shoot, 30 years to find, to do mm-hmm. that. But all right, so now, um, so what would you do, what would you do if, uh, now I'm assuming you're working with young folks, you got mom and dad bringing the young people in, mm-hmm. okay? Because you're talking what, teenagers, preteens that you're working with?
1: Right, older teenagers, young adults, like
0: okay. Sixteen
1: okay. to thirties.
0: Okay, okay, okay. And so, um, so some of them, it's mom and dad's bringing in. Some of them, hopefully, they're coming in on their own. Realize life mm-hmm. has got to be changed for them. And so, what's the? Uh, so, how would you get started on trying to to help them out here?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so, it's like you mentioned about the parents, right? Usually, it's the parents who bring in. Uh, their kids oh yeah, not- and
0: the kids—they're—they're—they're they're, they're throwing a fit because they don't—they don't, they don't want to be there. They don't think they ought to be there. And yet, and I, I don't want my friends to know I'm here. And yeah, I can say that because growing up, and I remember this. I don't know if it's like that today. I hope it's—I hope I'm totally wrong here. Okay, growing up, we always thought if someone was seeing a psychologist or a psychiatrist, oh I mean, they're crazy. Man, these people are crazy going to go see, and that's what was me growing up thinking mm-hmm. that that you got to be you got to be crazy to be talking to to see someone. Now, as I've gotten older, and I did attempt suicide uh, three times in three three times in three days. That's how bad I wanted out. Oh, wow. And the last time, uh, of course, I lived every time, but the yeah. last time uh, I was in the hospital for seven weeks and had to see a, psych- a psychologist for a year
1: mm-hmm. and.
0: That's when I learn. You're not necessarily crazy to go see talk to someone. It's someone you can open up to, knowing they're not going to be a, a shame of you. They're not going to be uh, uh, um, judgmental on you. You know that you can and get some advice. So yeah, and I, I tell people now that um, seeing a psychiatrist, psychologist is no different than working out your body. Okay. What do you do? You're doing all these arm exercising. You're doing these benches, doing the leg stuff and everything. But if you don't exercise your mind, whether you're talking to a psychologist, a psychiatrist, your loved one, your spouse, a great close friend, a minister, whoever, counselor, a coach, mentor, if you uh, you got to exercise your own mind to keep its strength and healthy, to get out what we call the get out the garbage and get the good stuff in. Mm -hmm. so
1: yeah absolutely i think you're you're really captured on how mental health awareness and viewpoint has shifted from one generation to the next now kids are wanting to seek mental health treatment oftentimes not for gaming um but for other things like depression anxiety often it's the kids who are pushing their parents to help them come in help them get treatment
0: Oh, and, okay. Good. good yeah,
1: especially a lot with high schoolers too. Right?
0: I'm glad that they're aware enough that something's not right and it, it, things need to change. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, good.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, but then of course the 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 negative of that is that uh, sometimes, especially with like the, the newer generation, sometimes there's too much identification with uh, labels and with diagnoses, right? So remember, I had I had one patient who um the mother got upset she was getting treated for the dep- 16 year old girl getting treated for uh depression and uh anxiety and a lot of like mood swings as well too and uh the mother came to me really upset after a session and she says that she believes that we're making the sessions worse and so i said okay like that's interesting like like what what makes you say that and so she goes because my friend like the mom of another girl that the girl was uh, in class with had texted her because the friend had posted on, or the, the patient had posted on social media saying, this is my new medication, everyone, like, check it out. Hmm. So it's almost like, like she was wanting validation, and val- wanting like, like internet likes, right? Because she was on medication. And so the mom was worried that she kept embellishing her symptoms and things and wanting to get a treatment, wanting to get new medications, wanting to increase doses. So that way she could talk about that.
0: I've heard other talk shows or whatnot, uh, believe in however that goes, you know how they go sometimes. But, uh, I can see with the the generation that they are looking for the likes, you know, to, Mm -hmm. to fulfill their self esteem, you know, and, It's sad that they come to that. It ought to be whoever your closest friends are and family and how they feel about you, not necessarily somebody on the other side of the world you've never even met, and they're doing yay or nay or whatever, and you're worried about them.
1: Yeah, if you look at the developmental phase of a teenager, right, they're in the stage where they're trying to uh, define their own identity. They want to figure out who they are. Their peer group is the most important influence at that time, like the parents take a sidestep. Um, mm-hmm. The peer becomes the more important, right? So peer acceptance, we're tribal, we're tribal creatures, is huge. And so if a kid is feeling neglected, they feel bullied, they feel uh, like they don't belong, right, right? Then suddenly they get X diagnoses, like, let's say ADHD, and now they're getting special attention from schools, they're getting special attention from other kids, right? They get to bond with the other ADHD kids, that's their identity now, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not saying that ADHD isn't real or it shouldn't be treated, right? But then there's uh, we just have to be careful not to over-identify with what is effectively just like symptoms and diagnoses. Like it's not an identity,
0: yeah, I taught I, I taught school for about fifteen years, and we yeah, noticed a lot of problem. Of uh, course, I was in seventh grade teacher, and yet yeah, these kids would definitely look to find a group to hang out with to accept them to go from there. And um, I understand the ADHD and the HD. I understand all that something's going on, but I'm also brought up when again I'm older than you. And whenever I did something that my mom and dad didn't like, got my tail busted, and that was the medication right. that I need. Where I see lack of that now, and I understand. I'm not saying beat them to a bruise or beat them to bleeding, nothing like that. But a good old get your attention smack uh, on the bottom, not across the face, mm-hmm. nothing like it. That. That's that's very disrespectful. Nothing like that, and, and again, up to a certain age, you can't do a. 13 year old over your lap you know what i'm saying but yeah i, I sure got it when i needed it and i think that was the best medicine f- again for me mm-hmm. i wouldn't say it's for everybody but seems like there's a, a a lot less of that today um i'm, I'm not too sure about the timeouts putting in the corner for three minutes is it, and it, it may work at the very beginning so i don't but i don't know but, but yeah, you're right, uh, especially the preteens and teens, they're looking for that group. And we would have our teacher-parent conference, and I remember telling mom and dads a few times, you need to find something that you can accept them to be involved in. Mm-hmm. And you need to be involved in it with them, whether it's playing sports or checkers, or you don't like a heavy metal band. Uh, but if you don't find something that all you can agree to and get along with, they're going to get into something you're definitely not going to like. Yeah. Because, I, because they're looking for that validation.
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely. Right. And I think the, the, you mentioned that they, something that, that they'll get into things that they don't like. Right. And that's where their parents role of curating their kids reality becomes so, so important. Right. Um, because as parents, our goal is to help them, the kid grow up and mature in a set of like defined boundaries, right? And then as they get older and older, we peel back, peel back the uh, the boundaries. And so, for example, right, like if a kid is involved in sports, he's got after school, he or she has after school activities. They have a great group of friends. Um, they have a good family life, right? They may have a good, might have a good social life. Then they don't need, they don't have the need to even like deviate outside that reality that's been created for them by um, the parents, right? But now let's say we have a single parent, right? The single parent is working a lot. Now let's say the kid is in school. Um, they might just stick with after-school programs. If they're socioeconomically disadvantaged, right, they might be in a worse neighborhood and might be hanging out with other kids who are, have. Uh, worse experiences or worse uh influences right then they Mm -hmm. start to get influenced by them we know that for teens peer influence is the most important factor right so the kids wants to fit in and then it starts innocent right it might start with like a, a vape here or there but then you know things escalate very very quickly right and so there's no no blame or anything being assigned here but really just emphasizing the importance of having that set boundaries because teens will push those boundaries, right? That's what they're designed to do. That's how they test limits, and having that reality curated for them is, is so so important.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, they, um, yeah, they're just looking to way to fit in, and like you said, uh, Phil. I remember the, my first year of teaching I had this one boy; he drove me nuts, and I was doing the old. Yelling across, why are you die, 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 hollering his name? Everybody's listening because everybody's ignoring him because he's been yelled at. No telling how many times throughout the day, how many years in school. But it took me half a year to finally wake up and go, you know, this yelling at this kid's only raising my heart rate and mm-hmm. my blood pressure. He doesn't care. I said, I guarantee you he's being yelled at by mom and dad because he's already slept in late already. Okay. now they're trying to get him to hurry up and eat before he misses the bus. Now he's almost missed the bus. Now the bus driver's yelling at him. And then as soon as you get to school, he's done something where, you know, you have to wait in the gymnasium most of the time until school starts. That whoever's watching that, he used to take most of his PE teacher. He's being yelled at them before he gets to his first period. And I started going, man, I got to do something different. He's immune to this yelling. And so I ended up, uh, I ended up taking part of my desk and cleaned it off, and said, "Your desk is my desk. We're going to work together." And we're going, and so I built this trust up. Got to talking with him some, mm-hmm. and then I would, I would let him know that I trust him. Say, "Hey, uh, walk down to the uh, office and ask him to make a couple of copies for me." And I said, "Now don't get down there and disappoint me." And boy, that kid changed. For the, oh, it was great giving them that lead way like you said gave them some boundaries then opened up to let them use what's been taught to them right there and um to stay within the boundaries but they had a little leadway that you can go get the copies but if you stop in the bathroom or stop to get water just don't do anything to disappoint me mm-hmm. so uh, yeah yeah I, i'm all i'm all with yeah we got to teach the young ones the boundaries we teach them then after that, you got to trust when they get old enough that you've done your job, and and if they goof up, we all learn together.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and especially to that last point right there, right? We just earlier we talked about how pain is a teacher, right? Because it helps guide our behavior, and so that's what the function of mistakes are are to learn from them and then be able to grow. Right. And so often I do run into parents, especially when we're talking about, let's say this, like, like the gaming and stuff, right? Like if we don't let the kid make any mistakes, then like, you know, keep them too boxed in. We don't let them push out enough. Then they are big. They do become more sheltered. And I had this uh, similar upbringing like that, too, where like I wasn't allowed on sleepovers and other things because my mother was afraid that something would happened to me right and which was her own anxiety but then that resulted in me um retreating more inward retreating towards this this game right Mm -hmm. and so it's a a similar thing where a parent if they feel like they're almost in trying to to control not even controlling but trying to be too protective over uh uh, the child that can result in that child not being ready for the challenges of the real world
0: so no wonder they're playing these games hours and hours and hours again they're trying to escape reality uh, again trying to find their sense of belonging in the game world uh, mm-hmm. with other people so how do you go about do you code turkey get off of it or do you have mom and dad say let them play it for two hours and then tell them that's the cut off the boundary you know and don't let them go anymore no matter how much they argue uh you can increase it later just don't tell them two hours then you come back and say ours have been two and a half hours you know you got to stick to what you say mm-hmm. okay and then so so do you do you give them a, a limit to start off with backing off or again cold turkey
1: yeah so that, that's a, that's a really good question right and so before we do any kind of limit or anything like that we have to understand the function of the game right like why is the, the kid or the teen or the adult, like why are they playing a game, right? There's some inner mm-hmm. function that's being satisfied.
0: Something, yes, yes. Right?
1: And so the problem that a lot of parents run into is like, they're like, oh, gaming's bad. Take away this game. Like one of my immigrant families I worked with, um, they had a 16-year-old son. And there they, they they were Chinese immigrants that they didn't fully understand, right? Like, like the video game, they just view it as, as bad, right? So they took it away from him kid became suicidal pretty shortly after, right? And so what that kid was for him was that he has a world where he goes from feeling crap in the real world to now he's like a mage or a paladin, he's level 80, he's slaying all these monsters, he's com- he's uh, collaborating with people, he's finally part of a community, he has a Discord chat that he um, talks to, like real guys like him around the world, real mm. people that he talks to, right? And so he has this amazing world where people like him, they respect him, they want him around to go to reality where it's like nothing in comparison. Right. So the first is really understanding what that function of the game even is. Right. And then second is to really make a change with, with somebody, right. They have to want it.
0: Oh, exactly. The, the, The
1: change can't be external. If you, take the alcohol out of an alcoholic's home, he'll just go to the nearest bar. If you block that bar, if you kick him out, he'll just go to the next bar. It's until that person realizes, okay, I can't, you know, drinking is not a good idea for me. Until they're
0: drinking NyQuil, getting alcohol out of the cough syrup. (laughs) So, uh, yeah.
1: Absolutely, right?
0: Yeah, it's definitely got to be their want to change because, again, if they don't want it, they're going to play the game with them to see everybody doing, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. You know, you play the game, but then they're going to go play the game and get in trouble. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but they'll they'll play the game unrealistic just so they can get out of the seeing you or whoever they're seeing and, uh, yeah, from playing the game. But until they want that change, it's really it's just a waste of time.
1: Yeah. Yeah precisely you just reminded me of something i used to game during the lunch period too of oh. school uh yeah we had a computer lab and so me and two other uh our, uh two other friends that i had every lunch we would go to this computer lab and uh there was like either one teacher there or no one there and we would game we had these like usb uh discs and so we all had halo pre-installed on the game or on the usb so mm-hmm. that way you go to school and you pop it in and it's right there and you can play
0: <laughs> you just remind me of a, something my mom told me when she went to high school, and I'm thinking, boy, times have changed. Like that, yeah, if you, you are, you know, playing sneaking and playing the game because you're still that addicted, you know. And, and then are going to get that play. But um, she said that uh, when she was in high school, there'd be a couple of boys that would go straight to the uh, science labs, and they had hooked up a, a baby, a small. Uh, moonshine uh still <laughs> and the teacher didn't know what they were doing and mm-hmm. they in and he said at lunchtime they'd go in and everybody get a little sip of it <laughs> they said they get drunk off of it just enough to get a good sip everybody had uh, yeah. about four or five of them i think wow my mom went from drinking moonshine uh, to y'all today playing games at lunch <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so time I- has changed
1: and if you really want to hear it now for today's generation, right? Like vaping is a thing. So at like when their kids are at home, right? Like the, they, it's hard to get away with vaping, right? But then if they're at school, it's a lot easier. You can vape in the bathrooms. You know, if you don't have it, the kid next door might have it and he'll bring his vape that he got from his older brother. And so, you know, then you can really have access to it there too, right? But it's all circling back to our point that, Taking away that stimulus forcibly never solves the issue, right? It's really getting to that internal change of having that person appreciate that it's a problem and realize the impact it's causing on them, and then them having that spontaneous desire created in them to want to shift their behavior.
0: Yeah, a friend of mine, uh, we've been friends for over 40 years, 45 years now, and um, he has been in and out of trouble in prison, jail, in and out over 20 years, in and out, in and out. And one time he's locked up and they told him he's going to have to go through AAC counseling, whatever else. And uh, he said the first day he goes to them, he says, I've already been through this, I've done, you know, and until I want to really do this and learn and quit, there's nothing you can tell me is going to stop me. And the counselor said, no, you're right. You don't have to come back to me until you're ready. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but that's what we were talking about. Until they are ready for the change, it's just a waste of their time. And you can give them the knowledge. You can give them the information. You mm-hmm. can show them and everything. But again, hopefully in the long run, they'll use it. But until they're ready to use it, nothing going to do with it.
1: Yep. And so that goes back to the um, thing we're talking about again, right, is that pain is a teacher. And so, by like in my scenario, right, by feeling that pain of uh, that pitfall in my stomach, right, seeing her dance, um, that was like the, I guess, like the trigger for me, right? And everyone else has their own thing. Like, I'll, I'll tell you a story about uh, not a gaming patient, but another older patient I worked with. So this was a 50, mid 60 year old gentleman, right? And he'd had multiple heart attacks. And so I was on my in, my medicine rotation in my in, in medical school. And um, so he just had like a third heart attack. And so we're talking to him, he's obviously he knows all this stuff, because he's a smoker. So he smokes, like two, three packs a day. And So obviously he knows that it's bad for him. The cardiologist has told him numerous times, right? Probably told him the next heart attack is going to kill him. Right. Like, like doesn't really, and obviously still continues that behavior. And I remember chatting with him and we were talking about like kind of his life a little bit. Right. And so he tells me that his, uh, his granddaughter got engaged and he was so happy for her. Right. And I'm like, okay, that's great. Like, are you, are you gonna, are you going to the wedding? Right, And he's like, well, the wedding's in like four months or six months or whatever. Are you going to be able to make that? And then he like really stopped and started thinking. And he was like, I don't know if I can make like with these heart attacks, I don't know if I'm going to make it to my daughter's or my granddaughter's wedding. Mm -hmm. And like, I could see that drop on his face. And he just like, oh, fuck, like, I might not make it to my granddaughter's wedding
0: he, he hadn't thought about it up to this point.
1: and so then he like he may have logically perceived it, but like not the emotional core right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so thinking about thinking about it from his perspective, right He raised a child and that child had a grandchild, which is like the greatest, most fulfilling thing that you can do as a parent is to see your kid be successful and then pass on their their legacy. And now he's gonna miss that moment because of the situation the choices that he made. Quit the next day.
0: All right. Awesome.
1: Quit the next day, literally.
0: So, um, I mean, that's awesome. And I got to eventually got to the wedding and, and saw it.
1: Yeah. So I I never saw him after that. Uh, So I saw him like in the clinic when he followed up. Right. And then I left a rotation afterward, but I like to believe that he did because when when I followed up with him, the next, uh, the next time I saw him in clinic, like, two or three weeks later, he said, yeah, I still haven't gone back to smoking.
0: Good deal. My mom, she went through a, uh, situation and, um, started having congestive heart failure. And she was smoking two packs a day and doctors put her in the ICU. Well, at first she's her in the hospital. And she was laboring, breathing, couldn't get enough oxygen in and carbon dioxide out.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so he wanted to put her in the uh, ICU and she says, Oh, I can't, I can't stay here. I got to go home because her mother, with Alzheimer's had moved into her house with her and she was going, I got uh, all of my boys and my my mom to take care of. <laughs> the doctor told her, to says, said, well, you know, I can't stop you from leaving. And if you want to go home and die, I can't stop you. And then after he said that to her, she went to ICU and she quit cold Turkey, uh, smoking for her. And here it is 25 years later. She's still hanging around with me. She's 83. Yeah, so, um, yeah but she, she quit at, uh, at that, too. So uh, you can a lot of things you can do with that willpower, the mind and everything. And it's a struggle. She says every day she thinks about smoking one, but she's mm-hmm. afraid she'll get addicted back to it. Uh, that's why she doesn't do it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's amazing when we really want to change, make a change. We can now not to say again, if she would have slipped up and smoked one, wouldn't. Wouldn't have been the worst thing if it had been just that one. Um, But you don't know that. So sometimes we do goof up and what's those same fall, fell off the wagon. Mm -hmm. And so we just get back and try it again. So go from there.
1: Yeah, that's actually a huge part of addiction um, psychiatry as well, too, is that, you know, relapse is part of the process. And what's happening every time you relapse, right, the consequences get a little bigger and then the pain gets a little bit bigger too, right? And so it's as that starts to build up, right? Like consequences get worse and worse. The pain starts building and building. It's like, when is when do you reach that threshold where there you've had enough pain to where that motivates the behavior change?
0: Is the pain on this part, this is what I just thought of on, on this part, is it because you're feeling so guilty that you keep falling off?
1: Yeah, I mean that—that's part of it too.
0: You're going, you going, you Damn, I fell off again. i have disappointed. Everybody else around me, and mm-hmm. then you do it again. You know, three months later, you go, man. You know, you know what I'm saying?
1: Mm-hmm. It's that too. Of course, the 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 emotional pain, the the um, the guilt that you feel, but also the consequences in real life. Taking alcoholic, right? For example, first time. Uh, he might lose his, his wife, his wife might say, yeah, I'm going to divorce you. If you start drinking again, he starts drinking again. She doesn't divorce him. He starts drinking again. She doesn't divorce him. He starts drinking again and she divorces him and takes the kids. Now that pain is much greater than what he experienced previously. The consequences are a lot more severe now. And so now that might motivate him to quit because now there's been enough pain that he's reached a greater threshold for himself that mm-hmm. he had not before.
0: Yeah. Well, this has been enlightening. I would, uh, appreciate you uh, coming here, helping out the uh, young males again, whether it's uh, teenagers up to your thirties, I help them again. Ladies, you still something you can learn from this as well uh, to use in life. So, Hey, go ahead and uh, give us uh we're going to need to move on, but I appreciate it. We may even do a, Uh, a part two one day with you to get some more ideas here so we appreciate you being here if you're going to give us a social media and website and stuff how people can find you
1: yeah absolutely and thank you james again for having me on so if you or someone you know is struggling with depression anxiety adhd or gaming addiction you feel like that they'd be a good fit uh, to work with me, then feel free to book a, a consult on my website, com, And um, yeah, I'd be happy to have a consult with you and see if we're a good fit and um, yeah, see if, if how we can help.
0: All right, good. And um, you see people with Zoom wise. Uh, nowadays with the way it is or where it's at face-to-face? That's correct,
1: yeah. So I'm licensed in a a couple states and expanding that too. But, yeah, we do uh, all of our sessions electronically.
0: Okay, good. Well, that's a lot easier than everybody else too. Absolutely. All right, Ogham, Hey, appreciate you being here, Ogham, and thank you again for your insights and professionalism. So uh, anybody else, if you need to uh, check uh, Dr. Dewan out, to be sure to do that. And I put the website down in the show notes to make it easier for people to find you and everything. So, Hey, uh, we know there's people hurting and struggling today. If you can leave us with one positive nugget to help us get through today, that'd be awesome.
1: Yeah, absolutely. James. Thank you. So the one thing I want to stress with, with everyone is that just like in a video game, right? We spend our time leveling up our stats. We buff up our attack. We grind to get our defense up. We try to increase our speed, right? We fight all these monsters to um, gain these stats. We can do the same thing in real life. We can buff up our social skill stats, our fitness stats, our um, intellectual stats, right? Our career stats, all of these things. We can apply that same mentality in video gaming, that constant achievement, to real life, and then actually level up a real life, fight the real life bosses, and then be able to get um, those real life results and the rewards, the loot that we've always wanted.
0: All right. Yes, awesome. So when you're gaming early, it's not a waste of time overall. You can still use what you've learned during that to use in life to be successful. So. Absolutely. All right. Hey, thank you, man. Everybody else say hey, be sure to check this out. Share with someone you know can use some information here. I'm Dr. James Perdue, Professor of Perseverance. Thank you for listening to the Professor of Perseverance podcast. Do something today, tomorrow, something next week that's going to help you persevere past your paralysis. Thanks for listening to the Professor of Perseverance podcast for motivation, inspiration, and encouragement. For more information, go to Facebook at Professor of Perseverance. Visit the website at ProfessorofPerseverance.com and view the YouTube channel, Dr. James Perdue, Professor of Perseverance.